This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we continue with our worship series, Rules to Live By, based on the book of James. Together, we'll learn about three simple rules that, when practiced, can change your life, relationships, peace of mind, and contentment as a follower of Jesus. And now, here's Martha with our message. Good morning. Today's scripture verses come from the New Testament. The first is from the third book of John, verse 11. The second is from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that he that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast, of bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. have to excuse me just a moment. If you recall, a few weeks ago, I gave you a warning that you might need your steel-toed boots. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? Well, I've been working on this sermon all week, and I've been stepping on my own toes, and I'm not going to make it through the next 15 or 20 minutes. If I get these on, left my socks at home. We'll give it a shot. Well, my toes might end up really sore. Let's try this one need my socks. They worked earlier. Might have to do this barefoot, then my toes are really going to be sore. Well, okay, so we've been in a sermon series for the last three weeks. This is not going to work. Well, that sounded really good at the time, didn't it? They worked about an hour ago. Yeah, my toes are going to be sore. Okay, very irreverent to take your shoes off in the middle of a sermon, by the way. So we've been in a sermon series for three weeks. Actually, this is week three in which we've been looking at John Wesley's three simple rules, uh, calling it rules to live by. These three simple rules of John Wesley's aren't necessarily a long list of do's or don'ts, but rather guidelines to help us live out our faith, 
our Christian faith in everyday life. Because too often we reduce being a Christian to a set of beliefs. How often have we recited the Apostles' Creed and how does it start? I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of, make, creator of heaven and earth. It goes on and it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in the resurrection. And on and on it goes. But this journey of following Jesus is not just about belief. It's about living it out in our everyday life. Belief is important. It's the reason we have those words of the Apostles' Creed. It's very important. But Jesus seemed equally concerned with how we live. Jesus seemed equally, you could argue, almost more so concerned about how we live out in everyday life. If he wasn't concerned about that, Jesus likely would have not have said, likely would not have said, go and make disciples. That's action. Jesus likely would not have said 13 times, as we have it recorded, follow me. That requires action. Jesus said, love God and love others. That requires action. So our belief in Jesus should manifest itself in every aspect of our lives. When we began this series, we looked at the, what we call the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've reduced that to love God and love others. These three simple, I use that because they're simple rules, but they're hard to follow. These three simple rules give us a framework to love God and love others. So we started the first Sunday, just kind of an overview. And then we spent last Sunday looking at rule number one. Does anybody remember what rule number one was? Do no harm. Yay, this is working. All right, today is rule number two. So I'll give you a pass if you don't know it. But what is rule number two? Do good, which is what we're going to talk about today. And next week is stay in love with God. These rules themselves all sort of work together in a cohesive manner. It's, it's hard to follow one without the other, but we have to start somewhere. So we started last week with do no harm. Using a legal, actually, a legal definition of harm, we find that harm is defined as ill treatment. Mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, ill treatment is how we define harm. And, and, and you could even experience harm by watching or witnessing others experience ill treatment. So we talked last week that often, in often cases, we cause harm because of our own blind spots. You know, when you're driving, you've got the rear view mirror and the side view mirror, but there's some blind spots that you can't actually see. And oftentimes in our lives, we cause harm because we have blind spots of, of economic, political, social, emotional, whatever, whatever beliefs or experiences we have sometimes create blind spots. And the way we respond or treat others, we don't even realize that we're causing harm. So last week, your homework when we finished that particular topic was to just stop. That do no harm was all about just stopping. So I sent you home with homework that said, before you send that scathing email, stop. Before you post or respond or share that social media post, just stop. Before you retort to your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, just stop. That was our homework. And then I told you to ask yourself, 
Is what I'm about to do, say, or think going to cause harm? So last week was just about stopping. Today we take the converse of stopping and we talk about doing good. We take it a step further. Because if do no harm challenges us to stop, then do good requires us to take action. So a definition of good, had to look it up, because we all have different definitions, means morally right. Fair enough, right? Do something morally right or righteousness. It also means a, a good is a benefit or an advantage to someone or something. I think we can all come to some conclusion easy enough of what good is. What are some ways we can do good? We can be generous with our money, with our time. We can serve each other. We can serve those who are less fortunate than us. We can do all sorts of things. But what about the ways we interact with each other? What about the ways we interact with people we know and love? Because sometimes those are the ones we harm the most. And what about the ways we interact with strangers? There are many areas that we could focus on on this idea of doing good. But today, we're going to focus on doing good with our tongue, with our mouth, with our words. Which is why I needed these boots. You might need some too, so let me just apologize ahead of time before this is over. So let me see a show of hands, just a random show of hands, of anyone who has experienced negative feelings as a result of someone's words in the last seven days. See? Pretty big topic, isn't it? It may be somebody you know. It may have been something you read. It may have been something you heard. But our words are one of the primary ways we inflict harm on each other these days. We've been using the book of James to guide us through these three simple rules. And, and the book of James is actually a letter that falls in the genre of wisdom. Meaning in the book of James, what we find is advice or suggestions or guidelines of how to live out this daily life of following Jesus. It gives practical advice on putting our faith into action. If you remember when we started, we, we began in the first chapter of James where he writes, don't just be hearers, don't just, don't just hear what Jesus has to say, do it. Be doers of the word. He goes on and he says, be gentle, be generous. Uh, last week was don't bite and devour each other, kind of good advice. But one particular area of interest that you'll see kind of throughout the entire book or letter of James is speaking. In the very first chapter, James wrote, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak. Key phrase there, slow to speak and slow to anger. He also wrote, if any think they are religious and don't bridle their tongues, they deceive their hearts and their religion is worthless. And then we get to the section of James that we just read that begins by warning those who are teachers of of God's word will be held to a higher standard. Those who are teachers, leaders, etc., will be held to a higher standard and, and, and they have to watch what they say. And that is true. But it's not just for teachers. Because everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus is a teacher in the way you live, in the way you model your life. 
So this advice for all of us to guard our this advice to guard our tongue applies to all who claim Jesus Christ as Savior. The good news is James recognized that not all of us are perfect and that we will all make mistakes. But we have a tendency to use our mouths. Oftentimes, we don't even realize it. My sweet grandmother, (coughs) whom I should not talk about because she died last year, but my sweet grandmother was a master at this. The way she would say things, and you didn't realize that she just insulted you. Not long ago, probably a few years ago, she said to my sister, now see, see, if you, see if you catch this. She said to my sister, after just giving her a loving hug, she said, oh, it's like you need to fire your cook, Debbie. Debbie had gained a few weight, a little pounds, a few pounds. But the irony of that is my little four foot 11 grandmother got a few pounds too. Now, I can't just throw my grandmother under the bus because I did something uh, two weeks ago. I wish my daughter was here. She could tell you. She called me out on it didn't even realize I was doing it. We were, I was in the kitchen cooking dinner, and the TV was on some news channel. I don't know. And I can actually see the TV through a, a cut through in the, in the, in the kitchen, over the kitchen sink. And I was just not really paying attention. I happened to walk by and see this lady on the television. And the lighting did not help the poor woman. I don't know who it was, but the lighting did not help her. And before I ever even realized what was out of my mouth, I said, oh, my gosh, honey, look at that poor woman's nose. And she called me out on it. And she was right. I didn't need to say that. The lady wasn't there. She doesn't know. But it hurt Jordan with what I said. I didn't need to say that. The reality is we're all guilty of saying things that unnecessarily offend. Sometimes we're guilty of saying things that we intend or are designed to offend others. We're all guilty of of saying half-truths or second-hand information that essentially damages someone else's character. The point is, what James is trying to make is that anyone who has complete control of their mouth is perfect. Reality is, none of us have complete control. But then he goes on and he uses these examples, the the bits in a horse's mouth and the rudder of a ship, to show that if you can control this thing right here, you'll begin to control and change your whole life, your whole body. Using the example of horses, we put a bit in the horse's mouth and it's tied to reins and we can steer a horse or animal whichever way we want it to go by doing that. If we can get a control on our mouths, We can control the rest of our body and our thoughts. Same thing with ships. A massive ship is steered by this tiny little rudder, depending on the size of the ship, if it's a tiny rudder, but relative to the ship, a rudder is small. The point is, although our mouths can get us into trouble, they can also tame our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and our souls. It just so happens that Jesus had a few things to say about this too. In the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel, the church people, the religious leaders, had approached Jesus and asked him some questions. Because Jesus had followers, we call them disciples, he had followers who didn't actually follow the eating rules or or, um, uh, types of food that you could eat according to the religious leaders. 
And so the religious leaders, the church people, came to Jesus and said, now, wait a minute. Why aren't they following the rules? Why are they eating, it's called unclean, these unclean foods? They will, it, will, it will defile them. Jesus responds to them and says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out that defiles. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And out of the heart comes evil thoughts, slander, etc. What we speak, how we speak it, when we speak it or type it, reflects what's in our heart. And it also has the power to change what's in our heart and the world around us. James also makes an analogy of the tongue, the mouth, our words being analogous to a fire, saying how great a big forest fire can be set ablaze by even just the tiniest of flames. We have wild forest fires and we have controlled burns. Now, it's not too far back for many of us to remember the wildfire, we call it the Gatlinburg Fire of 2016. Everybody remember that? Allegedly, it was set by a, a small fire, but the conditions, extreme drought at the time, high winds, turned it into a raging inferno and scorched our beautiful Smoky Mountains. Lives were lost, livelihoods were lost, and we were left reeling with the devastation of that wildfire. However, forest fires actually have some redeeming benefits, hence the reason we have controlled burns or also called prescribed burns. With a controlled burn or a prescribed burn, Forestry or fire officials carefully plan out an area of a forest to burn. They try to make the most ideal conditions, try to protect the people, the wildlife, everything. They have a, they have a plan on how to do a controlled burn. Because what happens over time without a fire, dead leaves and brush and, and forest debris begins to build up in a forest floor, which makes the risk of a wildfire even worse. So the controlled burns minimize the risk. But a controlled burn also brings new life to the land. It has benefits of controlling insect population. I'm a personal fan of that one. Controlling insect population. It can, it can clear the forest ground that can actually see sunlight for once. It brings nutrients to the soil. And typically, years later, but typically where there's been a controlled burn, the land, the vegetation comes back richer, healthier, more vibrant and beautiful than it was before. The key is they have to be planned and controlled. In the same way, our tongues, our words can do good, can bring about renewal and reju rejuvenation and hope and healing, but we have to control them. The challenge for us is to control the tongue. So how do we do it? Well, it takes a little practice. For some of us, it takes a lot of practice. It's the reason my boots are right there. In that short verse that we read from 
third, uh, third John, we were cautioned, or John cautioned the person receiving the letter to not imitate what is evil, but to do good. In that particular letter, we, we, if we read the rest of the letter, we would know that what had happened is there was a person gossiping maliciously at this particular church location. We don't know what location it is that John wrote this letter. There was a particular person who was gossiping maliciously, and so John was sending another person in to kind of calm things. And so he writes to the people in that congregation that don't, don't imitate that. That's not what you need to imitate. Imitate the person I'm sending to you who is a devout follower of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we talked about how many Christians, using the verses from Ephesians, are poor imitations of Christ. That's because it is so much easier to imitate the world around us than it is to imitate the teachings of Jesus. What was it that Jesus taught? Love your enemies. Pray for those who oppose you. What was it Jesus did? He hung out with sinners. He loved them and he accepted them just as they are. Didn't put conditions on them. Didn't condemn them with words. He welcomed them. Do you think Jesus agreed with all of the lifestyles of those whom he encountered? I can assure you he didn't. What about the woman caught in adultery? You think he condoned the behavior? No. But did he condemn her with words? No. What about the tax collectors, the crooked businessmen? Did he condemn them? You know what he said to them? Follow me. Jesus wants the sinners and the losers to be the ones that follow him and are his disciples. That ought to bring us a lot of comfort. Jesus demonstrated love and forgiveness and acceptance and grace for all. He calls us to do the same. One powerful way we can do that is to do good through taming our tongues and our mouths. Written word also. The question is for us, who or what will we imitate? Will we imitate the hurt and angry voices of those who quite frankly seem hell-bent on bringing division in our lives and in our world? Or will we put into practice some of the wisdom of Proverbs that say a gentle word brings life and health? Will we imitate the combative treatment of others in our own behaviors? Or will we use our words yet again, as the Proverbs say, as life-giving water? Friends, our words matter. And we are all weary of the hurt in the world and the words and the things being said right now, and we want to do something about it. But the change starts right here. In how we live, in how we speak, and in how we model the love of Jesus. So let's consider some ways to begin to imitate doing good in the name of Jesus. I have to give Rennie credit for these, credit for three questions. I think you came across them about a year ago, something like that. About a year ago, Rennie came across these questions that offer a framework 
for ensuring that our words do good rather than harm. So here's your homework. Got your pen out or your notes? You can take notes. It's okay. Before saying anything, ask yourself this question. Does this really need to be said? Does it really need to be said in light of whatever situation it is, or can it just be left unsaid? Does this need to be said by me? Do I really need or do I have the expertise or the authority or the experience to really speak about whatever this topic may be? Do my thoughts really matter? I once heard a person, <clears throat> wonderful saying, actually I did his funeral a few years ago. He uh, had a way of saying short little pithy statements that were wise. And once in a trustees meeting of all things, if you've been in the church, you know that's a, that's a fun meeting. Once in a trustees meeting, he is, his son was also on trustees and there was a hot topic happening and that person happened to know a lot about the topic. And so when the meeting was over, the son said to him, why didn't you speak up and say something? And he said, I'd rather be thought a fool than open my mouth and remove all doubt. Does what's about to be said need to be said by me? That's a good question. And does this need to be said by me now? Can it wait? Is it something you might want to ponder a bit before you say it? This is where we go back to rule number one with stop. Just pause. Odds are, if you think about it a little bit, it might not need to be said. And then I have a fourth question to add to it. If I say this, will it bring glory to Jesus? If what you're about to say doesn't bring glory to Jesus, does it need to be said? The things we say or don't say have the power to cause ravaging, devastating wildfire on our relationships and in our community but they also have the power to bring about healing and new life. The choice is ours. Choose words that do good. That's what Jesus did. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Part of our responsive time, I invite you to stand. And each Sunday, we, we, we verbally affirm our faith. This goes back to the I believe, but what the I believe should also manifest in how we live. So I invite you to respond in affirming your faith with me. You'll find the words on the screen. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil to proclaim Jesus, crucified and risen, 
our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. We continue in worship, responding by song also. This is a time in which we receive God's tithes and our offerings. We do it a little differently these days because it's 2021. But you are invited to text to give if you would like. There is also some information in your bulletin on the other options of giving. But we give not because I tell you to. We give not necessarily because God tells us to. But we give because when we give, it changes us from the inside out. And so I invite you to experience the joy of giving. You may also sing as we respond. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue our series, Rules to Live By. See you then.